afternoon, everybody, and welcome back to the Kelly Green Hour. It's been way too long. I'm your host, LJ Rowe, and joining me as always is Connor. Connor, you and uh, the doc did a great job on, on the last uh, episode that we had. I listened to it. You guys got a lot of information in, and too bad it wasn't later on because then we could talk about, you know, Brandon Brooks. I did bring Brandon Brooks up and concerns about his shoulder in that episode, but yeah, I don't think that me or the fantasy doc would ever have called him tearing his other Achilles like he just did. That's just, it's heartbreaking, man. Heartbreaking. And yeah, and it's crazy because if, if you look at his social media, I mean, like I follow him on Instagram and, and Twitter and whatnot, and like he is always working, whether it's doing jujitsu, boxing, he's at the Novacare complex pushing sleds. He has worked his ass off the last, what is it, year and a half, two years, and he's gone through the shoulder injury, the uh, the Achilles from the playoff game against the Saints, making it back in like, eight to nine months, being the best guard in football, then tearing, then then messing up his shoulder, not being able to play in the Seattle playoff game, and then doing this as your month, a, a month, two, three, three months away from the regular season, hopefully kicking off, and you know, a month and a half, two months away from training camp. And now he's, his 2020 season is done. And um, what we were looking at as a strength going into the season, now there's going to be question marks because this team, we know what the salary cap implications look like for next year. But now, you know, you have the best right guard, right tackle in football. Uh, you have the best center in football. You had the best right guard in football. Now there's going to be a question mark there. Did the Eagles go outside the building? Uh, do they bring Jason Peters back and let him play right guard? Do they trust Matt Pryor? Do they trust Driscoll or Prince? You know, there are a lot of names out there, a lot of people that they could go to, but it's a big question mark now that we weren't expecting to be a question mark. Yeah, I mean, it's a shame that that it was Vitae's contract year and good on him to go get paid, but man, would that, that have probably helped us in this situation. But, I mean, you did speak to it a, a little bit. I mean, there are some in-home ways that we can fill this gap. And if there's one thing we know about the Eagles, they constantly, even with the Brandon Brooks injury along that offensive line or past injuries along that offensive line, somehow we develop some killer talent in the trenches. Um, whether it be on the defensive line or the offensive line, we do a really good job of molding these players into what we want them to be. Um, so we have some incredible... Unless, yeah, unless you're Derek Barnett, but I'm not ready to rule that out yet. I'm not ready to rule a big year, big contract year. But um, I mean, honestly, there are some some things that we could do to keep it in house. You spoke to Driscoll briefly. He he's got a lot of he's a right tackle who uh, who they actually a number of the scouting reports prior to the draft stated he could use a move inside to guard because of strength concerns. Um, there's Matt Pryor who's been an incredible depth piece across the line for us. Um, do I necessarily trust him? Eh, uh, that's, that's up for debate. I, I think I'd rather take, but I mean, I'm the one who's always take a shot at the young guys, take a shot at the rookies like Driscoll over the other guys. Um, but, uh, then there's like, this one's a big one. That That's a big question mark for me is Jordan Mailata and what he could potentially do at a move to guard. I know, I, I know, I know we're going to talk about it in a little bit, but I don't see him making the team. I, I do agree with that, but now that you suddenly have that opening at, at right guard and suddenly that opening along the offensive line, maybe he somehow squeezes in again. I don't know. Um, but they've been working on him for years at the tackle position, and a move to guard might it might potentially be a saving grace for his uh, for him staying on the Eagles roster. I, I just don't know. Um, but there are a lot of in-house things that we could do to address Brandon Brooks and, and can save some of that cap and, and roll some of that cap over. Because, I mean, as we've talked about in prior episodes, this this COVID-19 has definitely put a potential strain on the NFL and their ability to, to up the cap again um, next season. And if it ups at all, probably very little compared to what we expected. And we're already, what, negative, like, 30 40 50 million dollars in the hole for next season so any type of money that we can roll over is good money and big money to roll over um so for me i mean it's heartbreaking um the guy's humble as hell he's always putting in work he's one of the guys who probably least deserves to constantly be have injuries uh bothering him and nagging at him 
But I think that we can keep this in-house. I think there's the opportunity to definitely keep this in-house with those three names that we talked about. And that's not to rule out the possibility of doing some shifting. Maybe if Peters wants to come back for a year. But I mean, Peter, I've seen, I've watched some some podcasts. I've watched some, listened to some some conversations throughout the offseason about people going from the left side to the right side. It's a tough adjustment. And then to take him from left tackle to left, to the right side to be a guard it it's big question marks honestly well, i mean my my thought for the the, the situation was move reset or bring back peters put peters at left tackle move dillard to left guard then you got kelsey and then on the right side you got lane johnson and then you got a lot more options to fill that right guard isaac, position but isaac sayamalo at right guard yeah even isaac sayamalo at well, right my guard thing, my thing is if if it were to be Jason Peters, which I'm not saying it is, but like I think it would be easier for him because a he's a vet and b you're gonna be playing next to to Johnson and and Kelsey. Like I I just think that he he he's seen enough and he he even expressed interest in moving the right tackle last year if if needed. And I think if there's anybody that can make that 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 change that adjustment, um, which you mentioned is, is a big change going from the left to the right. We saw how Andre Dillard struggled against Seattle last year, but I think if there's anybody that can make that change, it would be a Jason Peters. And, and it's not going to be a long-term thing. It's just a year. Um, if that's the route that they were to go, because we expect, you know, Brandon Brooks is going to have a, a, a year to, to get him. He, he made it back as, as the best guard in football from his last Achilles injury in less, in less than nine months. So this would give him a year to, to get back. And like, you haven't seen it a day or two after the surgery, he had a boot on and he was still doing jujitsu. Like this guy is not going to stop working. You know, he, he's somebody that, that takes this challenge head on. So I have no problem or, you know, no worry of Brandon Brooks making this comeback next year. Yes. His age is going up there. He's going to be what 31 uh, or 32 next year, but still, I mean, I, Linemen can play forever, it seems like. Mm. And J- Jason Peters is damn near 40, and he's still playing. Um, so, like, I have no issues with that. But if there was anybody that could make that adjustment, that change from left tackle to right guard, I think it would be somebody like Jason Peters. Yeah, I mean, you could definitely go with that. I mean, you have all, if you bring Jason Peters back, you definitely have a ton of options at that right guard position because you could move Peters to the right side or you could keep him on the left side and move some bodies around from there. Um, give Andre Dillard some more work on the inside instead to get him ready to move back to left tackle. Like there, there's definitely a lot of options and there. It's a pretty split. If you, if you look on Twitter and you listen to some of the Eagles podcasts that are out and about in Eagles radio, there's a pretty big split on bring Peters back. Don't bring Peters back. Keep it in-house, go get somebody. Um, they, but I mean, we do have to be very wary of the cap, whatever you do with this situation, it's either gotta be, I think you're down to two options. You keep it in house or it's Jason Peters for one year, but I don't think there is any other option as far as going outside of what we have in house or outside of Jason Peters because the cap's just not there. Yeah. So I understand the cap not being there, but for say a one year rental, um, you know, would you consider the a Pro Bowl guard that's available, Larry Warford, who, who was with the Saints? He's 29. He is available. He, he's a, a, an All-Pro Pro Bowl guard. You know, I'm not saying bring him here for a big deal. I'm not saying I'm bring him here for three, four, five years. But if he's willing to accept, you know, because he hasn't gotten the offers that he wanted, if he's willing to accept a one-year, you know, deal, maybe an incentive-laden deal, would you consider that? If you're not satisfied, if if you know. Jeff Stoutland and, and and Doug Peterson aren't satisfied with the options that they have at right guard. And they, and they want to put somebody in there who can be, he's not going to be Brandon Brooks, but he's going to at least fill the need that you have at, that you weren't expecting to have. Yeah, I, I would be all for that. But the issue that comes from the incentive based contracts is that those incentives, you, you end up paying out the next season. And the fact that there's no cap there means how we would really have to work some cap magic to fit him in this season in whatever structure or whatever type of contract he, he would want him to come in on. But yeah, if, he, if you got a good guard out there who's willing to take a one year contract, one year prove it deal. 
Um, and, and because we know that the future at the right guard position is Brandon Brooks. As soon as he's healthy, he's coming back. It doesn't matter who we bring in. It doesn't matter who goes there. Jack Driscoll could go over there and play, have a best rookie year of his career, and Brandon Brooks is still coming back and taking that spot. So at the end of the day, if you can get him in on a one-year deal where you're not necessarily kicking the can down the road because we see what has happened with doing that with some of the contracts now, um, we we're in a situation over the next couple of years where it's going to be a lot of work the cap down, work the cap down, bring the cap down. And it's not going to be as much as we want to sit there and say, I can't wait for free agency, but there's nothing to wait for over the next two years. It's about developing the talent that we have in house because there's no money there. You can work all the magic you want, but in the, is that this idea of freeing up $30 million in cap space, means you're kicking the can down the road further for some of these situations. So there will be no free agency for us over the next couple of years. It's about developing the talent we have in-house and keeping the cap that we have so that we can roll it over. So if Howie can work some real magic and get a one-year contract, not even really incentive-based, because that means that it has to go on to the next year's salary cap. So not even that. Something where it's a lot of bonuses, a lot of just guaranteed dollars that don't go right towards the cap so that we can roll more of that cap money over um, would be good. But I, like I said, I think there's some things in-house and there's some things you could do with Jason Peters that would make a lot more sense than going out and and messing with any of that extra cap money, any of that extra 20, I think it's 25 million that we have right now. Because a lot of people are like, use it, use it, use it. No, don't use it because you want yeah. that cap money to roll over because that means suddenly those 50 million restructure that you have to do becomes 20 million that you have to restructure instead. So I think it's important to try and keep it in-house or Jason Peters because we know Peters will come back on a team-friendly deal and we know what Jason Peters is capable of and a move into guard is probably a really good thing for Jason Peters at this age. Yeah, and you know, even if you keep that 25 million, if, if for some unforsaken reason down the line, we have a big injury to – I don't even want to project it. But, like, if you needed to spend it, you at least have it. Like, you don't need to spend it right now because you have bodies. It's still very early. I mean, we don't even know what the team is going to look like, even though we're going to kind of project that right um, in a little bit. But, yeah, I mean, you kind of have that as an emergency fund. Now, let's let's mm-hmm. take this – let's transition this to an all another all-pro on the defensive side of the football that is – has – requested a trade and he's put out a list of a seven to eight teams that you know he wouldn't mind being traded to his name is jamal adams the all pro safety from the jets he's named the ravens cowboys texans chiefs 49ers seahawks buccaneers and the philadelphia eagles now we've already stressed and we always stress it i feel like every time we're on that they're they're in a cap hell next year at least that's what it seems like right now if you're Howie, do you call up Joe Douglas and see, you know, hey, buddy, you know, you may owe, you may owe me one. Um, see if he could, will do something uh, to help us out. Or do you not even entertain this because we're just, we, we can't afford them. We'll, we have them, we'll have them for, you know, the next couple of years. We'll be able to franchise them beyond that too. But it just won't make any sense for our cap issues that we have right now. For me, um, I'm going to go with, Yes, but I'm actually going to reference the WIP mock that they put out there. Their mock, their mock trade was Ertz or Goddard and a second for Adams. I'm not – for me, the only way you're making this happen is that Ertz contract. Ertz is due for an extension. I believe it's next season. He wants Greg Kittle money. We're starting to load up the offense with some weapons, unproven weapons, yes, but weapons nonetheless who are probably going to eat into Zach Ertz's sh- share of targets. Um, but the, the thing for me here is that Zach Ertz contract just isn't going to happen. The reality of the situation is Zach, uh, Zach Ertz is heading to the wrong side of 30. We got Dallas Goddard in our back pocket. Um, does it make sense to throw Zach Ertz in a deal for Jamal Adams? I actually think it does. But I think that Zach Ertz is worth enough that you shouldn't have to throw in that second. I think that's heavy. You heavy think you could do straight up Zach Ertz for Jamal Adams? 
I don't think so. I think that they're still going to look for that draft capital because of the fact that that big contract's due the next season for Zach Ertz. So you have to negotiate that extension. There's no guarantees he stays on the team. And he's asking for some big money. He's asking for that top three tight end money. And after, like, every year, I do the fantasy analysts outside of the fantasy analysis outside of this as well. Every year you see new tight ends emerge. A tight end position is basically a, a position of emergence then decline emergence decline emergence decline it's it's one of the most hard to predict positions in fantasy football and in football in general because you just don't know from year to year but now you got mark andrews who's emerged you already have killing kelsey who are those established talents and like i said there's a lot of talent coming in that are going to bite into zach Ertz's target share because zach Ertz has a monster target share um, when you consider it, and who are you going to take from? It's not like we have receivers to take from because we didn't have many receivers. Dallas Goddard doesn't, he has a nice share, but not a strong share. A lot of that share is going to end up coming from Zach Ertz, and then it's going to be on Zach Ertz to establish himself as a tight end who can create for himself, which year over year we've seen he's not that tight end who can really create for himself. He makes a catch, he gets hit, that's the end of his play. That is about the the uh, how much he creates for us as a tight end. So he relies a lot on that heavy target share, which isn't necessarily going to be there with these new weapons like Jalen Reger, who are here with Marquise Goodwin, who's here with these new weapons that are going to open the field and that Carson Wentz is going to use to spread the field and not necessarily just go to Zach Ertz. You have Miles Sanders, who's going to continue to emerge and be a big piece. You got Dallas Goddard, who's continuing to demand more of the need for the ball. So when I originally saw the trade, I was like, God, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. But on the surface, it does make a lot of sense because Zach Ertz is going to demand that Greg, that, that George Kittle money. He's going to demand some high dollars that, at the end of the day, I don't think how he's going to be able to do it. I don't think he's going to be able to work it. And the good well, thing is we do have Dallas Goddard in our back pocket. But Ertz for Adams straight up, to answer your question, I don't think so. But Ertz in a second for Adams, that's steep. That's really so steep. You're talking you're, you're talking about the, the money that, that Ertz is going to command. But I think on a per-year basis, Adams is going to command more money. Adams wants, over, wants $20 million. I think for a tight end like Ertz, you know, he may, you may be able to sign him for like 15-ish, 16, 17. So, I mean, which is, of- which is fine, but think about it, like Ertz is what, 29 going on 30? Adams is Adams 24 is going on 25. He's entering which, the prime of his career position, and look at his stats. But which position is more, you know, a prudent, you know, which position do you think is more important? You think it's the safety position, which, which one makes more of an impact on the game? I is think it, we've. I think we Zach proved Ertz, it. Is it Zach Ertz in our offense? You know, because he is the number one target, or is it an in the box safety like Jamal Adams? Yes, he he, he rushes the quarterback, he gets sacks, he, he he forces fumbles. So like in the the structure of our team, looking at our team and the structure in which we play offensively and defensively, which person Ertz or Adams actually makes more of an impact and is more important. I think it's Jamal Adams. I I mean, I think we proved it with Malcolm Jenkins how vitally important it is to have a good safety in the back who can diagnose the plays, who can play all over the field, who's a short tackler or a very short tackler. And and I think that that ends up being Jamal Adams because look at look at Carson. So we signed Carson Wentz to be our franchise quarterback, and we've seen what Zach, we've seen what Carson Wentz can do with almost nothing. So you take Zach Ertz out of the picture, that opens up over 100 target shares for a bunch of new weapons that we brought in, and Dallas Goddard who's still around. If you when you're talking the money that Ertz is going to command in his age, the money Adams is going to command in his age, and then the importance of the position. Like I just said about the tight end position, it's going to come and it's going to go outside. I love Zach Ertz, but outside of George Kittle and Travis Kelsey, you can basically plug anybody into that tight end position and in Philadelphia and Carson Wentz is going to make them look good. Carson Wentz is going to do good things for them. Look what he's been doing for Dallas Goddard. Look what he did for Zach Ertz. Like, I don't think at the end of the day that that necessarily the tight end position is of vital importance. It only has been of vital importance the last two years because of the question marks at the wide receiver position, the injuries at the wide receiver position, and just the pure issues we've had at the wide receiver position. Say... 
Jalen Rager does emerge, say Marquise Goodwin does emerge, and it does become useful if they can take on 20, 30 target shares. Dallas Goddard, you throw 20 or 30 his way. Suddenly, we probably aren't even thinking about Zach Ertz. We probably aren't even missing Zach Ertz. And that is no disrespect to Zach Ertz because I love Zach Ertz, and I am a huge Zach Ertz fan. I have a Zach Ertz uh, jersey right now in my in my closet. So I do love the guy, and I would like to see him stay but if you can get something like an Ertz and a fourth or maybe even an Ertz and a third, I think is steep for for Jamal Adams. I'm paying Jamal Adams $20 million. So, I'm finding the way to make that work no, over at Zach Ertz at $15 million. Knowing that we love the two tight end set, and so we'd have Goddard who bumped up to the number one, do you trust Josh Perkins or Alex Ellis or I don't even know who's available right now. Trey Burton's with Indianapolis, so you wouldn't be able to bring him back. Like, do you trust anybody that they would put in that second tight end spot? Because this, regardless of what, like, Doug loves the two tight end set. He's going to run 12 personnel. He's going to run one back, Miles Sanders and his two tight ends, and throw two receivers on the outside, uh, whether it's Deshaun Jackson and Rager, Deshaun Jackson and Goodwin, um, Jeffrey when he comes back, or Thega Whiteside if he gets his head together and, and doesn't run into his own teammates. Like, that is what the, the the offense that Doug Peterson likes to run. Now, obviously, bringing in Scagarella, bringing back Marty Morningway, that could change, obviously. But as of right now, the, the way we know Doug loves to run the offense, who do you do you do you have trust in a Perkins or an Ellis or whoever else it may be to be the second tight end that's going to be on the field 50, 60, 70 percent of the time? Um, I would say yes, because I think that they can they can build that tight end into what they want. Like you can have the two tight end set, but it may not necessarily it may be more of a distraction out there, kind of like what I believe Rob Gronkowski is going to be. It could just be a guy who's going to be out there blocking or just that extra person that you got to keep your eyes on. Uh, so, I mean, eventually we have to think about life after Zach Ertz. We, th- we thought about life after Malcolm Jenkins. I think that we did a patch job. I think Jamal Adams turns that patch job into not a patch job, and you have even more weapons at your disposal with the Jamal Adams. We have tons of weapons at our disposal on the offensive side of the ball, and we got to figure out who we're going to keep on the team and how we're going to pay all of these people on the team. Um, so I think we do have to prepare for that life after Zach Ertz. And, I mean, at the first year without Zach Ertz, is it going to be tougher at the tight end position? Absolutely. But is that to believe that we can't mold an Ellis or Perkins into what we want them to be and just to be that extra body on the field during those two tight end sets? I think we absolutely could turn them into that. And whether that be that they be the blocking tight end or whether that be that they just go down the field and they're just another you're pulling a linebacker to keep an eye on them instead of having two linebackers watching Dallas Goddard. You can definitely work with that. I think there's things you can do. Now, are they going to come out and be a Zach Ertz right off the bat? Or are they going to come in and be the tight end to the Dallas Goddard was? Highly doubtful. I mean, we got we got really lucky in having Zach Ertz established here. And then in how we drafted Dallas Goddard, where we got him and what we've been able to do with him. But at the end of the day, am, am I, I mean, we can look back at tight end again in the draft if need be. We can do those things. You can draft tight ends almost anywhere in the draft and to mold them into whatever you want them to be. And they can emerge out of nowhere. You just got to find the right talent uh, at the tight end position. So I think the tight end is position as much as we all love Zach Ertz and we wouldn't want like to see him go is one of the more disposable positions if that's what Douglas says if if Howie calls Joe up and he's like well what about Zach Ertz or Dallas Goddard I think that's a more disposable position than a lot more of the positions that we have and a lot more of the talent that we have out there you don't want to give up any of that young talent that we just got and but whereas Zach Ertz who's heading towards 30 and is gonna command between 10 12 and 15 million dollars probably is is something that is definitely more at our disposal than than anything else. Yeah, I mean, honestly, I mean, I don't think it's going to happen because of the cap issues that we have, and I I just don't want Jamal Adams to end up in Dallas because that would really suck. That's the one place I don't I don't care if he goes anywhere else. I just don't want him to end up in Dallas. So, we'll, and that's going to be interesting on Dallas's end too because they still have the Dak Prescott thing to worry about. Um, now, before we get into the the offensive depth chart for the Eagles. I wanted to touch about, we know what's going on with, with the pandemic. I mean, the Philadelphia Phillies just had eight guys in the organization test positive. Um, Somebody for the Tampa Bay lightning, I believe tested positive. 
a PGA Tour golf golfer tested positive. I actually did. There was, there was just an update that came in that said that there's actually 11 people that tested positive on that PGA Tour. So. Wow. Um, and that, well, I, I read something that they tested 11 more and they came out negative. Oh, maybe maybe that's what it was. Yeah, they, they I, tested I can't remember, eleven, but... including the the guys that were paired with with um the the golfer on Thursday, and they tested negative. Twenty one Clemson football players were among twenty eight Clemson athletes that tested positive, and then the UCLA football team doesn't trust Chip Kelly. Shocker there, to to for to look out for their best interest. So you know they want to. Thir- Are sports going to be played this fall? Like. This is something we, we all anticipated by the fall. Things would be slowing down and we would be fine. But the way things – and we were talking about this before we, we started recording. The way things have been handled in the U.S. have been awful because of the dumbass that we have in, in, the, mm-hmm. in the White House right now. He started – he, he you know when it first became, an issue, became a known issue, he said it was a hoax. He said that we'd have – well, it's only one. It's only one person. We'll be fine. Five – whatever. You know, it's fine. We've ballooned to over – we're going to have over 200,000 deaths in the United States alone. Like this is bad. And the way that the southern states are have handled this, they think that they aren't taking it seriously. Um, you know, the CDC came out and said that Hawaii, Montana, I think were the other two, and Pennsylvania were three states that were actually, you know, trending in the right direction. And all the people in Pennsylvania that have been getting on Governor Wolf about the way he's handled this – they need to back off. He has done an outstanding job because of the way he's taking it seriously. Yeah, has has he maybe taken gone a step a little too far and maybe being overprotective? Sure, but you have to in situations like this. You know, but the way that the other states in this country, the way the South states in this country, you know, are 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 handling this, how the hell are we gonna play sports? Florida is a hub city for the NBA, for the MLS, um, could be a hub city for, for hockey. And their cases are rising on the daily. Do you think they're going to be sports this fall? Is there going to be college football? Is there going to be the NFL? Is the NBA really going to come back? Is the NHL really going to come back? Is the MLB, if they can get their their head together and come up with a with a, with a schedule, are they going to come back? Like it to me, it feels like while you know we're inching closer, and I think football is going to come back, I have a bad feeling that if it starts, it's not going to finish. Yeah, it's interesting because we have two different perspectives on this. We have the yeah. American perspective, which you actually think very much like a Canadian on it. And then the Canadian perspective, which is what I'm seeing. So what we see as Canadians is what we see on CNN and stuff. And I don't really watch a lot of CNN because I don't like CNN. I don't like Fox. They're too left. They're too right. They're yeah. too, you know. Um, so I kind of try and read things through Twitter, which is not a whole lot better. But you just see the numbers, the results. And that's what stands out to me um in canada we literally we had a shutdown for essentially six weeks it was only essential workers you could basically only go out and buy your groceries and then you went home and you had we call them this is going to sound funny but we call them bubble families and you could you literally had to stay within your bubble to make it easier to track who you've had contact with well if you got the virus they the new the uh, the New Brunswick, which is the province I live in, the New Brunswick government would call you and they would try and track down each person that you had contact with to make sure that they got tested and stuff as well. And to make it so that they could track who you had, where you had been and stuff. Um, so is there going to be sports? I doubt it until they take it really seriously like Canada. I live in an area where we have a lot of people who don't like to work. We have a lot of welfare people um, and they like to just sit around. So we have to bring in a lot of workers from from Mexico and stuff. They come in, they're temporary foreign workers. They come in, they work for the summer, make a ton of money and they go home. Um, And one of the things is when you come to Canada or at least my province, you have to self-isolate for 14 days and you get tested after 10 and at 10, if it comes back positive, then you have to re-isolate for 14 more days because that's the, that's the, that's the period, you know, where you you can pass it on and stuff in the period where it'll go away. And then you end up having to test after that. I think it's like you have to have you keep testing until you have a negative test. 
um, and they test you every couple of days after that fact, after about after about a week. It sucks. It's a lengthy process. It's a shitty process, but it's worked. We have, I think, we have 30 active cases in New Brunswick right now because we had a doctor in the northern part of our, our province who went out of province, came back in, and started this outbreak in one zone of our province, and it's literally all stayed in that zone. Um, so the reality of the situation for athletes and for sports, and a lot of athletes are saying, I don't want to be away from my family and all this stuff. If you want to get paid and you want these sports to go on, you 100% have to take this with the utmost seriousness. And literally, you have to essentially self-isolate, be away from your family, be take two weeks off. You literally have to plan for that two-week phase where you have to be stay isolated on a floor of a hotel do nothing go nowheres and like it, it it sucks it really does suck it's a really shitty situation at the end of it and it sucked for us for the six weeks that we were basically shut down but now we've we're at the point now and we're a super small province we're, we're not that many people compared to like the states but we have 30 active cases and at one point we had 120 active cases and we're all the way down. We got down to zero for two weeks, and then this guy left the province, came back, and now we're at like 30 active cases again. Um, so I think there's a lot more seriousness, seriousness that has to be taken um, in the states, and it starts, sadly, with Donald Trump, where it will never yeah, actually him, happen. Guess what? He has a damn rally in Tulsa, Oklahoma tonight, today, and apparently for those that want to go, they had to sign a waiver. For a guy that doesn't that thinks this is a hoax, if you don't if if you think it's a hoax, then why are you having people that want to attend this rally, which is the dumbest thing because you're gonna see a big spike in cases with this in, in Oklahoma. Why are you having them sign a sign a waiver? If this is a hoax, if it doesn't mm -hmm. mean anything, why why are they signing a waiver? He because doesn't want to they're afraid be, to get sued. They're exactly. afraid that as soon because as it happens and there's true. an outbreak, they're gonna get sued. So just admit it. You're not you're not any less of a man and you're not any less of anybody. If you have to shut your whole the whole United States down for like three to four weeks and it sucks. You shut it down the, inter, the interstate travel and stuff. We shut down interprovincial travel. You still can if you're coming into our province, you and you're staying in our province, you have to self-isolate for for two weeks and if if you're not doing it and somebody catches you there's people in our province who are calling the police and they go to your house and they say are you self-isolating and then they're like well somebody told us you weren't and if you're doing that stuff like you you can get in a lot of trouble we find people we've put people in jail for not self-isolating right. that's how serious this is this is a trial run at something that will be far far worse in years down the road maybe decades down the road hopefully not in my lifetime but likely in our lifetime we may witness another one of these that will be worse and this is a trial run and our world can't even get it right. The European Union got it right. Canada's getting it right. Latin America's the new epicenter, the new hotspot. The U.S. Two is not words getting for it you. right. Donald Trump. If we had a Barack Obama still the president, we'd be fine right now. That's all I'm I know. I know that we don't want this to turn political, but that's basically where it has to go because you've you've seen it. People have tried to open up camps. The Phillies, that outbreak that happened in hockey. There's some Tampa Bay Lightning players. Austin mm -hmm. Matthews got it. There's mm -hmm. there's players getting it, and they're not even traveling yet. They're not even that. We haven't even gotten to the point where they're traveling to play yet. They're just going around. They're training or they're going to their camps or whatever, and they're getting it just through that. It's just so easy to pass along and stuff that it is we sit there and it's so it's mind-blowing how easy it is that it passes along but that's why we have to start to take this more seriously our our prime minister his his approval ratings have gone through the roof because of the way he's handled it has he been super stingy about it yes but like you said about your pennsylvania uh whatever governor, whatever you call governor governor, governor. So, like you said about your governor, his approval means may not be great, but at the end of the day, people will respect him for what he did. Hopefully, they people will respect alive. him for what he did because there's a lot more people alive because of that. Look at the rest of the U.S. You could be Florida right now. They had the single highest hike in cases, and guess who set that record before? Florida. Yep. So, and I mean, at the end of the is, day, it's a by joke. By next it's weekend, you know, we're in the yellow right now. By next weekend, if all goes well, we're going to be in the green. Was it, you know, was the weight? Was it a long wait? Yes, but 
lives were saved because of it. And so I'm going to leave it at that. Again, we don't want to make this political, but again, that long, I know it it took a minute. It took a a couple minutes for us to get to the, will there be the the answer of, will there be sports? It's tough to know, obviously. Um, And we're hopeful. Like, like I mentioned, I think the last time I was on, and I, I think I put it on either Facebook or Twitter. I'm all right that, there hasn't been the NBA because I'm not I don't have a favorite NBA team so like I don't really care about them I I watch the NBA when it gets to the conference finals and the finals that's when it gets real anything before that is pointless to me um, the NHL I'll watch playoffs but and then MLB I'll go to a game I'll go to like a dollar doll game here and there I'll take my nephew to a game but when it comes to watching on TV I haven't missed it but when it comes to football. That's a different story, you know. If yeah, and I think it goes without saying that if there is a season or when there is a season, we could be looking at a year or two before there's fans back in seats. Yeah, it's yeah. a sad reality of the situation, but it likely is the truest way that we're going to get sports back. There will be no butts in seats, and I don't know if you saw this, but this weekend NASCAR is hosting a race in Texas that they had to reschedule because of this, because they couldn't have fans in it, and they're going to allow fans to be in attendance, and it'll be the first NASCAR race where there's fans in attendance as well. So things things are getting real in the U.S. They want their sports back. We want our sports back. But if it means we get our sports back, but there's no fans in seats, you know what? I'm okay with that, but we have to be smart about it, and it has to be done right for the athletes and for the safety of the athletes as well. So it'll be interesting to see. Now, uh, I'm glad we got a couple minutes on that. Let's move towards the Eagles 53-man roster, our predicted rosters. We're going to do the offense this week, um, and then we'll do the defense the next time. And we don't have to worry about special teams because we know it's Jake Elliott, Cam Johnson, and Rick Lovato. I think that's with 110% confidence. We both agree on that unless there's an injury. there That's not going to change. Um, they gave Elliott and Johnson and Lovato. I'm pretty sure they gave them all contract extensions over the last year or two, so. We're not going to worry about the special teamers. So mm. I know we're going to have some differences here. We're going to start with the quarterbacks, which I think we were both probably on the same. I got Carson Wentz, Jalen Hurts, and Nate Sudfeld. Um, the, the only change that I would make is if something happens to one of the quarterbacks and who they would bring in. I mean, they have Kyle Oletta. It's going to be on the practice squad. A lot of talk. There were a lot of questions to Doug Peterson this week about Colin Kaepernick. I mean, he kind of he would fit the mold of the type of quarterback that the Eagles would like. I just don't know if that if that's going to happen. I don't foresee any injuries happening. So I think Wentz, Hurts, and Sudfeld are going to be the Eagles quarterbacks this year. Hundred percent, we agree fully on that. The Colin Kaepernick situation. Um, it would have to be at the cost of Nate Sudfeld, and it would have Which to be I'm at a contract. <laughs> Well, yeah, definitely, which I'm fine with. Um, but at the end of the day, the contract is another big question mark, too. Carson Wentz and Jalen Hurts are clearly the future of the quarterback position for the Eagles. Carson Wentz very much the lead, and Jalen Hurts very much that developmental talent that you never know what might happen with Carson Wentz type thing. Um, but Carlin, Colin Kaepernick, he, he's gonna want, he's not going to want to be the potential QB3. He's not going to take QB2 dollars. He wants to come in and he wants to be a starter. And he's going to command probably a decent amount of money. So I think you're smarter to stick with Wentz, Sudfeld, and Hertz. And next season, you roll with Wentz and Hertz and Sudfeld takes a boot because I don't think we can continue to afford to try and keep him on roster. Someone's just going to have to take the shot at him as their backup. Because we've tried it, and uh, the games where he's come in have been painful to watch. So whatever they see in Nate Sudfeld, I don't see it, but somebody else can pay for that. And you believe, and I may have been one of them back in 2017 after the way Foles played against the Raiders and the Cowboys in his his couple series. People wanted Sudfeld to start in the playoffs that year. That was a long, that feels like it was such a long time ago. Uh, yeah, and that, that's definitely not me. I The few games I've seen him, even in preseason, it's hard to watch, man. He, he's painfully inaccurate. He doesn't seem to have a whole lot of an arm to him. Carson Wentz and Jalen Hurts are so similar. They're both scramblers. They're both very much mobile. They can make things happen with their arms, their feet, 
whatever you want they can do and Nate Sudfeld I don't find strikes me as that he's kind of like Nick Foles he's more of a pocket guy you're gonna have to build an offense around him whereas Wentz and Hurts can build an offense for the two of them that they probably can both work in the same and with similar success so I think this will be Sudfeld's last year and Kyle Aletta man I don't even have him on the practice squad so (laughs) he'll be they they always like to have a quarterback on the practice squad it's gonna be him they, they, they do, like, but, but they do, but they never. I don't think I've ever. It's been a while since they've rostered three quarterbacks, and so I just don't know if they're gonna waste the practice squad spot because they have a ton. Like as we dig down into it, there's a ton of potential talent to put on that practice squad who are probably more worth well, it than a, a Kyle Aletta yeah, or fourth the, quarterback. The, the practice squad's gonna extend the 16, and I think that if it if it does extend the 16 players for this year. Um, they'll, they'll, they're going to, they always like to have a project quarterback on the practice squad. It doesn't matter. So that's why I think if, if, especially if it goes up to 16, it's going to be, they're going to have one. Let's move to the running backs. Who do you got making the team at running back? Um, for my 53, I got now, I got, I go a little off the board here, but I got Miles Sanders. I got Boston Scott and I got Michael Warren the second and I have Adrian Killens making the, uh, practice squad. Um, I love Michael Warren. You know what? Whatever a LaShawn McCoy can bring to the team at his age and at this point, or a Devontae Freeman or a Carlos Hyde would have been, Michael Warren can bring to us, but at a much younger age and at a a far more discounted rate. Michael Warren's going to be that early down back. That's it. That's all. That's all. He's not nothing pretty, but if I've watched him tape on him and if you watch him tape on the guy... He just pounds the ball, man. He's not going to catch the ball. He's not going to take from Miles Sanders. He's not going to take from Boston Scott. He's not going to be out there on the third downs unless it's third and one or third and two, and you literally need a couple yards. I like Michael Warren. I like the opportunity to save money. If you bring in a LaShawn McCoy, it's for one year only. Is it worth it to bring him in for one year, or is it worth it to take the flyer on a guy like Michael Warren? And um, Corey Clement, I mean, I, I just... Based on the rest of my roster, it's hard to see them keeping four running backs. And if you keep a fourth running back and it be a Corey Clement and you bring in a Sean McCoy, Miles Sanders, Corey Clement, and Boston Scott are just so alike, so familiar, so 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 the same in their game and the type of game that they play. That's just too much of the same thing on the roster, I find. So I got Miles Sanders, I got Boston Scott, and then I got Michael Warren the second on my 53. So I got four, actually. Um, Miles Sanders is the clear-cut number one. Already talking about wanting to have an MVP season. So, I mean, he's going to he's going to have a lot of touches. He's going to be – he's going to get drafted high in fantasy, too. So And I think he's going to put up some monster numbers. I he's do already have, getting drafted high, high, high. He's already going in the first rounds for most uh, fantasy drafts. Uh, and then I have LaShawn McCoy coming back. I think that, you know, he was unceremoniously traded for a crappy linebacker um, that's by Chip Kelly. It should have never happened. He should have never left. Um, they've never given out 25 since he left. They're going to let him come back, finish out his career as an Eagle, and then they'll retire that number 25. Um, Corey Clement and Boston Scott are also going to be on the, the roster. Um, Corey Clement is going to be your special teams guy in terms of returns, um, on kickoff returns. Pump returns is probably going to be Jalen Rager. Um, but, you know, they'll put Clement back there. He... While, again, it feels like it was so long ago, he had a really good game in that Super Bowl against the Patriots. So I think that they they brought him back um, on a cheap cheap deal, and they're going to give him every chance in the world to to make the roster. And, and of course, the, what Boston Scott did down the stretch, they're going to keep him also as a special teams guy, possibly return kicks. Uh, even though I wasn't a big fan of him returning kicks because he just did some dumbass things um, when he was when he was doing that. But I do think it's, it's going to be Miles Sanders, and then. Just to spare them, it'll be McCoy, Clement, and Scott. Which I, I can get behind. You know what? I can get behind bringing back LaShawn McCoy for one season. But at the end of the day, I think if you bring back LaShawn McCoy, I think it's going to be at the cost of a guy like Corey Clement. One thing that I think how he's doing, and I respect what he's doing, he's trying to get younger, and he's trying to rid himself of these injury-riddled players. And Corey Clement, for me, if he can prove to stay healthy through this whole off-season process, whatever type of process we have in the preseason, and he can win out a spot— good on him, but I don't know if I'd completely trust the health of Corey Clement, and I don't want to live and die on that Super Bowl game that he had, because then then I'd feel like I'm that guy who's Nick Foles over Carson Wentz, too, and I'm just not, I'm not about that. Um, 
Corey Clement, for me, he came back on a cheap contract. If he can prove to be healthy, sure, keep him around. But like I said, he, Sanders, Clement, and Scott are just so similar in their play style. It's so hard to roster three of the essentially similar to same players. Um, whereas we need an early down back to take that work off of Sanders and Scott to keep them healthy and to keep them in the roles that they're meant to be on the team. And that's why a young guy like Michael Warren, who can pound the ball, uh, would be a good guy to have. Even if he makes the practice squad and they do bring LaShawn McCoy back, I think you will see Michael Warren up on the roster eventually just for what he brings for that really early down work and saving the beating on the body of guys like Sanders, Clement, or Scott. Yeah, we'll see. And I, th- I think Warren's probably going to make the practice squad. All right, moving to wide receiver. I got the Eagles keeping six. Uh, Deshaun Jackson, Marquise Goodwin, Alshon Jeffrey, who won't be back till probably midseason to late season. Jalen Rager, J.J. Ortega-Whiteside, and John Hightower. That's why I have them keeping. It's speed, speed. It's a lot of speed. And then you get the two guys in Jeffrey and Ortega-Whiteside who, you know, should be able to win those 50-50 balls if, if Carson is looking to go that route. But, you know, if they, as long as – if Jackson can stay healthy, he's going to make a huge world of difference for this offense. We saw what it was week one when he was there. I mean, he's going to open up the middle of the field for Sanders and for Ertz and Goddard. Um, and for Jeffrey and, and, and Ortega Whiteside, like if we have that speed guy that that can open things up, that that can have that, it's going to force the defense to put a safety off the top of them. It just opens up things for the entire offense, and it'll be a big, big weapon for the Eagles. And that's why they went with all speed. Am I worried about going for all speed in the draft and bringing in a bunch of guys that run four, three, four, 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 fives? A little bit, because you don't really know if they can. Play. We know they can run. But can they play football? You know, if, if they get hit, are they going to get back up? Um, it's definitely going to be interesting to see. But that's why I have the Eagles keeping at wide receiver. Yeah, the reason I went three at the running back position is because I went seven at the wide receiver position. They got a lot of talent there. They got a lot of what do we have in these guys. And I think that you have to roster some of them and keep them around in order to actually see what they have. Um, so easy, Deshaun Jackson, Alshon Jeffrey, J.J. Ortega-Whiteside, no doubters. Um, then I got Jalen Reger, no doubter, Greg Ward Jr. Um, and I got Marquise Goodwin as well. And then I got John Hightower. Um, I think we're going to keep all those guys on roster. I think guy, a guy like John Hightower pro- may potentially be able to also provide some, some, uh, special teams help and relief. Um, and then going to the practice squad, I have Quez Watkins and Khalil Tate, um, Like you said, for Deshaun Jackson, I mean, you saw what he did in week one. You saw how much he can open up that offense. And then they have Jalen Rager, who's going to learn from Deshaun Jackson, which is another big thing because I think it sounds like they hope to use Jalen Rager in the slot as well as on the outside and prepare to mold him to be the next Deshaun Jackson. Um, Alshon Jeffrey and J.J. Ortega-Whiteside are very similar players, and uh, we're hoping to see J.J. Ortega-Whiteside take that step forward. Um, and potentially that this is Alshon Jeffrey's last season. Um, and will he start on the pup list? Tough to say. We did. There was some encouraging news. I think it was on Alshon Jeffrey yesterday. Some encouraging news on Alshon Jeffrey and how he's coming along. Um, and then you got Greg Ward Jr., just what he did at the end of the year, kind of like Boston Scott. You kind of want to keep him around, see what you can do with him. He could be a special teamers guy. He's definitely someone who I'd take over like a Deontay Burnett, a Robert Davis, or a Shelton Gibson any day because what he did for us, you got to respect what he did for us and what he might be able to bring. Um, but, yeah, the, like you said, there's a lot of guys who these guys are track stars. These guys are studs on a track team. But what can, what else can they bring to the roster? What can they do on special teams? What can they do catching the ball? What can they do at the slot as the X, as a, as a Z, whatever you want, wherever you want to put them? What can they do? Um, I'm not going to get hyped up about the wide receivers like last season where, where they were like, oh, we got the number one. Now I'm not getting that hyped up, but I think there's a lot of potential there. And they this year, it's less of people who do the same thing. Like they said, oh, J.J. Ortega-Whiteside, he can be all over the field. And then they ended up not being able to use him or put him anywheres when Alshon Jeffrey was on the field. So now you got like a Deshaun Jackson. That's your true outside guy. Jalen Rager, who can be on the outside, but he can play the slot. J.J. Ortega-Whiteside, who can be outside, but he can also be a big slot guy. Greg Ward Jr., he can be a slot guy. He can be that outside burner. Marquise Goodwin, the outside burner guy. There's some really interesting things. But this time they have a lot of guys who can play different roles on the team. Um, where 
whereas last year I think they had a lot of the same and not as much flexibility. So I'm interested to see what happens there. But that's why I have them keeping so many. A, injury concerns with guys like Deshaun Jackson and Alshon Jeffrey. And B, because you got to see what you have in these guys and you're not going to see it from the practice squad. Yeah, and I do think if they keep seven, it probably would be Greg, Greg Ward. Um, but I just think that they realized the mistake they made last year and only having the one speed guy, so that they're going to, you know, put three, four on the active roster. All right, so let's move to tight end, which we probably might agree on this too. Who do you got the Eagles keeping at tight end? Tight end, uh, I actually just have two. Okay. Crazy enough. I just got Zach Ertz and I got Dallas Goddard uh, based on our discussion earlier. Obviously, that could change, but those are the only two. And then I have Noah Tugea going to the practice squad there as a potential guy to mold and move up. But I don't have Ellis or Perkins making it. I have Ertz, Goddard, and Josh Perkins. And I think I, I had the three because you remember, I think it was the Atlanta game when Goddard got hurt and they, and it was just Ertz had to play every snap. Like, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's, it's tough to say. Like, if, if they know that Goddard and, and Ertz are going to be healthy, obviously, that, that's what they're going to roll with. But I don't know if they want to be put in that position again to where if one of them gets hurt. And, and again, Doug loves to run a lot of two tight end sets. They don't want to be – they don't want to have to abandon that game plan. So I do think Perkins um, – they like Perkins a lot. He can play – I mean, he ha- he was a receiver in college um, who's, transition, who's made the transition to tight end. So – Perkins is kind of a durable guy that they can, if they have to put split them out and put them on outside, they're able to if needed. Um, so that's why I have them keeping three. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I guess the only thing would be if J.J. Ortega-Whiteside can emerge as that like big slop presence and they might trust themselves to only carry two. But, I mean, that would that's the big question mark is what is J.J. going to emerge as? What's he going to become this offseason? What's he going to become next season with the Eagles? Yeah, and then who knows again? He he him and Rager were working with Carson Wentz in Houston, I think last week. So hopefully mm-hmm. he's been putting in the work this off season and, you know, he doesn't come in looking like a wide eyed rookie. Mm. Now the offensive line. Um, yeah, I had to make a change because of the Brandon Brooks thing. Um, so I have them keeping nine, which, I, which seems, which seems like a lot obviously, but you only dress 46 on game day. So they'll probably dress six or seven probably. But I got Andre Dillard, Isaac Sayamalu, Jason Kelsey, Lane Johnson. I have to figure out the right guard, but I'm going to go with Jason Peters. They're going to bring back Matt Pryor, Jack Driscoll, Prince Tegawana Ogo, and Sua Opeta is going to be the ninth one. Um, I know they're high on him. They brought him in as an undrafted last year, and he could play guard. Um, and they're, they're going to give a lot of guys a lot of opportunities, I think, before they decide if they want to bring a Jason Peters back or if they want to, you know, bring in a Larry Warford or whatever. Um, but, I, th- I mean, I think Peters is eventually going to be the, at least the starter at right guard. Um, and then if they decide to go to a Matt Pryor or they, to somebody else, they'll do that. But, you know, in preseason and, – and this is where only having two preseason games, which I think is what's going to happen this year, if they play any preseason games at all, is really going to hurt the Eagles because they won't have the opportunity or the gameplay to put in guy after guy after guy at that right guard spot to see who can take control and grab hold of the spot. So it's definitely going to be interesting. Hopefully in camp they're able to get a lot of work. Um, but this is why I have the Eagles take uh, keeping at offensive line. Uh, well, for me, I guess I had 10 being kept prior to the situation with Brandon Brooks. So it dev- it's it becomes nine essentially. So I can probably add a defensive player down the road now. But I got Andre Dillard, Isaac Samalu, Jason Kelsey, uh, Lane Johnson, Jordan Mailata, Matt Pryor, Prince Tega, Jack Driscoll, and I got Nate Herbig as the uh, as a guy who stays on roster to learn. Because uh, as of right now, he Herbig would, and he, yeah, he's the only real guy who can play center for sure behind Jason Kelsey. Kelsey's getting a bit older. You want to prepare for life after Kelsey and have that idea in your mind. We ought to start preparing a guy. Um, and then I had Soopeta on the practice squad as well as Julian Good-Jones because Julian Good-Jones plays a guard in center position as well. So just in case, you know, you have that guy in your back pocket to start preparing if, if things don't go so well with Nate Herbig. I, but, I also uh, think that if, if something happens to Jason Kelsey where he's out for like a couple of weeks, Isaac Sayamalu is going to switch to guard because 
or switch to center, excuse me. I think that their center of the future, like if Kelsey, this is Kelsey's last year, say Amala is going to be the center. Yeah, I mean, there's there's definitely the potential for that. Um, that's a good thing about the depth that we have is we didn't pigeonhole ourselves with depth. Like even Halipulu Vatai Vaitai, you could move him around. Uh, he didn't necessarily have to stay at one position on the line. He could play guard. He could play tackle. Um, so that's a good thing there as well. Samalu, he can be moved around the line. He doesn't necessarily have a, a, a dictated position. And that's what I like about what the Eagles have done. They have that position, but you have that flexibility. I mean, Prince Tag is a, a, a tackle, but you could easily move him to guard. Driscoll has experience at guard and tackle. Um, and Suopeta also has that that uh, flexibility. I think he's played some center, but he's also he also plays guard. So that's a good thing about what the Eagles do. They they build their offensive line around flexibility. You have your core five, who you know are going to start and be you know your the stalwarts there. But then well, they we know build, four. <laughs> well, four now without Brandon Brooks. But you have those guys like even Jordan Mailata. They're training him at tackle. They've been working with him at tackle, but easily. With the issues he might be having, those issues could be more disguised if you move him into guard in between Jason Kelsey and Lane Johnson. I still haven't ruled that out, depending on what more he does throughout this offseason. Um, but that's what kind of sucks about everything going on with uh, the COVID-19 is a guy like Jordan Mailata, who may have a golden opportunity. The, the, the golden egg may have just been laid in his hand. But he can't really do much because they can't get to training camp and he can't show what he's got and what he might be able to do at the guard position. Um, but I have I had them keep in 10. I now have them keep in nine with the Brandon Brooks injury. And this would assume that what happens at right guard stays in-house um, at the position with no Jason Peters. But I could just as easy add Jason Peters as the 10th person to keep. But uh, based on their their likeness to have a lot of depth on that offensive line, I went pretty heavy at offensive line and wide receiver because of the opportunity at wide receiver and their love of depth at offensive line. Yeah, and we're kind of similar in who we have the Eagles keeping on the offensive side of the ball. Um, and I, I think that this is going to be one of the most unpredictable, like, off um, – training camps and whatnot because you don't know how because of what's going on we don't know what the training camps gonna be like we don't know how much work these guys implement we expect them to obviously you know i would see videos of lane johnson working out in his barn we see videos of fletcher cox he brought the the defensive lineman to to houston i think or wherever he he stays you know to, to work out and to get some work in um, Carson Wentz to meet, meeting up with, with some of the receivers to get working. Like we see them doing that, but obviously doing work on your own is not the same as putting in actual work when you're at the facility with the coaches. So it's definitely going to be fun when we finally get to that point and just see what the team is going to look like. Um, and hopefully that this would be the, the squad that can get us the, the second Super Bowl. Yeah, 100%. I mean, there, there's a lot of potential in this roster. We've gotten a lot younger, so obviously we're going to have to go through the growing pains. But I mean, just as as I go into Twitter and stuff, what a lot of people are, are saying is like, this isn't a Super Bowl or bust season. This is a retooling season. These next couple years are re re-get a grip and handle on that salary cap and also get younger and start rebuilding the roster. We were getting a lot older. We went... I think I posted a little while back, we went from being one of the oldest rosters to like pretty much top third of the league in age. We're actually a lot, a lot younger with what we've done uh, this season. So, I mean, and I think that's a big thing that, that we're doing. This isn't Super Bowl or bust, but at the same time, this isn't necessarily like, oh, we're eight and eight for sure. We have a team who could just as easily be 11 and five, 10 and six as they could be eight and eight or seven and nine. But the the idea that we're retooling, that Howie is trying to get a grip back on that salary cap that kind of got out of control is, is a good thing for us. And I think it's a good thing that, you know, we're not necessarily at that phase where we're going to be witnessing eight and eight mediocre football for the next three or four years while he gets control. He has the core and he has the guys he wants to build behind them at most positions. Like I said, I have my concerns at safety. I have my concerns at at center when when Jason Kelsey moves on and stuff. But at the time, at for now, we have what we have. We have a good core, and then we have a lot of good developmental talent. And I think how he knows what he's doing, despite some real pushback from some people. Yeah, and the one thing Doug said this week when he was on uh, WIP is. 
they have to find a way to stay healthy. And obviously the Brandon Brooks thing doesn't help with that, like starting before training camp. But if this team can stay healthy, you're right. They can be a 10-11, you know, 10 or 11 wins team and, and win the division. They won the division last year with a bunch of practice squad players and, and Dallas being fully healthy. So anything. And can these guys are definitely not like the guys they brought in, I think, are better than the practice squad players we brought oh, yeah. up. Oh, yeah, like oh, the yeah. guys like John Hightower, Marquise Goodwin, Jalen Reger are far superior to Robert Davis, Deontay Burnett, and even to Greg Ward. I have Ward on the roster, but I still think they're superior to maybe not Hightower, but Goodwin and Reger are definitely superior talent to Greg Ward Jr. Um, so, I mean, and the the thing is, we have depth all across. Like, we have a good team across the board, I think. We got some good quality. We got some good quantity. We have that good depth behind it. Whereas, like, you look at the Cowboys, they went full-on offense. I get what they – I get the mentality. that I never thought C.D. Lamb would be there at 17. How can you pass him up? I get that mentality. But look at the holes on the defensive side of the ball. Look at the holes now on the offensive line. Like, there are some holes there that they could be an 11-5 team, but they could easely be a 7-9 and nine team because I, I said it before on some past podcasts with uh, my fantasy ones. There's a good chance that there's going to be three 1,000-yard receivers. But if you put 51 up on a team, you could put 51 up every single week as the Dallas Cowboys. But there's a good chance that the team you're playing can put up 52. So that's the issue that I have with, it, with Dallas and this whole, oh, this is a runaway for them in the division. No, they got an amazing offense. I, I won't deny that. Even as an Eagles fan, I won't deny that. But their defense has a lot of question marks and a lot of big question marks in my eyes. Because they lost, they lost the likes of Byron Jones and stuff, and they didn't really replace him. Trayvon Diggs has so many question marks as far as his character and his play goes. That's not necessarily a replacement. That is not a Byron Jones replacement. So that's a big thing for me there, and then the other two teams don't matter. Uh, and, 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 I, and I said it before, and I'll say it again. It helps that the Eagles have the continuity at the coaching staff, the only team in the division that has the mm-hmm. same coaching staff. Um, they don't have to – yeah, they brought in new offensive minds, but like you don't have to have a t- totally new, you know, culture experience that you're gonna have, like you're gonna have with Dallas and Mike McCarthy and Joe Judge and with the Giants and Ron Rivera with the with the Washington Redskins. So that's where I think the Eagles have a step up. And if there's a season, that's where they have. Is the schedule hard? Yes. And are we gonna go over the schedule as we get closer to the season? Yeah. Um, once we see what the rosters are gonna look like, it's a really tough schedule, but. I think that they have the coaching and they have the the, the mental makeup to to go through a season in which it's not going to be a normal season this year. No, definitely not. You know, it sucks. But I mean, if we get if we're able to get football, that's we should just remain positive about that. If it it sucks that you you might have to sit there at the start of September and you want you don't get to go to the link and watch it in person. But if we're able to get football that's all that matters to me, man. I can't get to the link anyways. I'm I'm like I'm like 16 hours away from Philadelphia, so I'm there's no chance I'm getting to the link. But at the same time, if I was a football fan and you're able to find a way to make a football season happen, I'm happy. And you're mm-hmm. saving money because you're not paying like 100, 150, 200 dollars for a ticket. So and that doesn't even uh, include concessions or parking, because parking at the link or parking for an Eagles game is like double the price of parking for a Phillies game. Exactly. So we should be positive in that regard that, you know, you're saving money and we're getting football. But I do get this the love, the passion that the Philly fans have, the Eagles fans have to want to be at the link and to be cheering and, on their team. And the, the fans are the reason why teams don't like to come there to play. So like when, when opposing teams are going to be happy, like, you know, Dallas will be happy that they're not getting little kids flipping them the bird, you know, coming to the link. Yeah, it's a whole different game when there's not you're not hearing f bombs and booze and getting the finger and getting stuff thrown at you. It's a whole different atmosphere. It's a whole different game, and that's something that's something that that will definitely play into that may play against the Eagles' favor. That that's it's a point that I didn't even think of actually up until you said it. But yeah, that that's a big thing. People mm-hmm. in our division hate to come to the link. Because of that, they know the fans, they know the atmosphere and everything. And that definitely provided an advantage. So I can see why there are some there are some players who are like, I don't want to play without fans. And I can get that too, because it changes your mentality. It changes the way you play the game. It shouldn't, but it does. Because 
imagine you got 60,000 people screaming and cheering and booing for the other team. If you're on the defensive side of the ball, you're feeding off of that. You're like, I got to go hit that press guy. I got to go get this sack or I got to go get that pick. But it's a whole different ball game when, when there's no fans involved. Exactly. So time will tell what, what's going to happen. Uh, we'll see if the U.S. gets their act together and uh, and we figure out how to find a way to, to get sports back into our lives. Um, so we did the offensive depth chart this week. The next time we're together, we're going to do the defensive depth chart. Um, yeah, and the Eagles defense has a chance, has a chance, you know, to, to make some noise. It'll be interesting um, what Jim Schwartz has up his sleeves. Um, if you want to follow us on Twitter, obviously follow us at the Kelly Green Hour. You can see our brand new smoking logo. Um, you please rate and review us. Let us know how we're doing. Um, if you have any segments that you would like us to or any topics you would like us to cover, we'll definitely do that. Uh, we like to interact with our fans. Connor definitely when it comes to fantasy sports on his Twitter at Connor 10. That's Connor T-E-N. All about the fantasy. He's the fantasy god. Um, I, even though I did win our fantasy league, just saying, I think, I won our <laughs> um, and then I'm on Twitter at LJ Harrell 54. Uh, so Connor, any final thoughts before we finish off? No, nah, I just, I just pray, you know, that, that, that the U S gets it right. But at the same time, as much as I want sports, as much as I love sports, these are some unprecedented times. And if we lose sports in the sake of getting this goddamn right and saving lives, and and just knowing that this will completely disappear i know there's a good chance it won't completely disappear but just this idea that we can get it to a controllable and tolerable point where we can get normalcy back in our lives that's all that matters to me at the end of the day but damn do i ever want some football <laughs> i agree with you 100 percent. for connor i'm Eldridge. thank you for listening to the kelly green hour Thank you.